0: Hello everyone and welcome back to Jersey Jump Shot, New Jersey's first and only podcast dedicated exclusively to New Jersey college basketball, the holiday edition. All I want for Christmas is hoops. I'm Jerry Carino with me as always, my longtime colleague, Steve Edelson. One of our goals is to give you a glimpse behind the scenes for student athletes. And for a twist on that, our special guest this week, the week of December 18th, is a student administrator, but not just any student administrator, New Jersey's resident celebrity sports information director, the pride of Fort Lee, FDU senior, and very soon-to-be FDU graduate, Jordan Sarnoff. He's 21 years old. He's getting a degree in sports management. His last class is this week an art class, as I understand it. Jordan, welcome to Jersey Jump Shot.
1: Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, Steve. Great to be here with you guys and kick off the morning.
0: So this is fun, Jordan. And, you know, one of the reasons I want to have you on is because it was recently announced by our our good friend, John Rothstein, that you have accepted a position within the athletic department. Tell us what your new position is and what it entails.
1: Yeah. So I'm really fortunate that they uh, they saw value in keeping me on post-graduation because I'm very fortunate to be able to graduate early. And so starting, um, Officially, it was uh, last week, but it'll really carry over when my degree's done. I'll be the special assistant to the athletic director here at FDU. And uh, in that new position, I'll continue to be um, our NCAA-designated sports information director. But I'll really focus more on some of the more um, large-scale projects like Hall of Fame, our um, continued agreement with the YES Network, And as we move into our conference slate and we have national TV games for the men and the women on CBS Sports Network and ESPNU, I'll continue to liaise with those. And then, obviously, I mean, the biggest part of the job description is just picking up the phone when Jerry Carino calls. I think that was one of the biggest emphasis (laughs) that they put on it.
0: Well, Uh, if that's the biggest part, then you're a huge success, brother. I have a feeling you've interrupted class time to field my inquiries, which I feel terrible about as a part-time college professor. But yes, there's no question that you have you get an A in that category.
1: Yeah, it's it, it's been a great ride, and to be able to have the flexibility to not only you know go to class and have very understanding instructors, um, and then be able to come in here and I mean I was 19 when I got my own office. That's something that's still you know I have to pinch myself every day. So to be able to have all of those experiences, it's it's really unbelievable.
2: You know, Jordan, there are grizzled veterans in your line of work who did not experience what you experienced last year. Take us through that. I mean, from the playing game, you know, right through Purdue and on. To, I mean, take us through the whole experience. What, what was it like for you?
1: Well, the best way to describe it is from the second we landed in Dayton until the moment we ended up at the Today Show after elimination, I remember very little that happened in between all that (laughs) because it moves so quickly. There's so much that happens. It is the most well-oiled machine. And then you drop somebody in who surface level to the majority of lay people is not a seasoned vet. And you're fielding interview requests from, you know, all the nationals, the print media that were there, uh, everybody who wants to, you know, use the zoom technology to get a hold of coach and some of our players, you know, it moves so quickly. And the funniest thing about all that was I, um, I became the sports information director here at 19. So I was always the youngest in the room. I had just turned 21 before the tournament and no. that made things a lot more interesting. I mean, <laughs> uh, the celebration after the Purdue game, I mean, my parents gave me so much grief because I wouldn't meet everyone at the bar that they got to stay open late. Because I don't know if you guys knew this, but the bars in Columbus closed very early. So we, were able, to, so we were able to say, hey, we just be Purdue NCA. We're, we're coming. So they, they found this spot. I forgot what it was called. But I, I only made it there for a few minutes. Because I went right back to the ballroom in the hotel the NCA got for us. And I created like a little war room there. I had two laptops going. And I was just interview requests, spreadsheet, tracking everything and then using some monitoring software to see who was talking about us. I mean, it's really, it's a time in my life I'll never forget, but I've forgotten a lot about it. I see was in the background. What was the craziest request you got? The craziest request I got? The biggest request I got was for a lot of Zoom interviews. And I was a big believer during the tournament that, It was such a story, and quality is everything that I really made a push for as many outlets as possible. That if they had an affiliate in the Columbus market, it wasn't so much an issue with print and some of the digital outlets because you're not going to use the clips, you're just going to take the sound and use that for the story. But for some of the national morning shows and some other um, broadcast shows like the nightly news and whatnot, I really asked that they send a crew because who knows if we're ever going to get that again. So to be able to show the school in the best possible light, I mean, that was something that I really tried to hit home. And for the most part, um, the network's obliged.
0: Jordan, did you say to any of your professors that paper has to wait? I have the Today Show on the line.
1: It became more of an issue, not so much during the NCAA tournament because that sort of overlapped with our spring break. The issue was when I went to the Final Four. Because uh, even though the games are Saturday, Monday, that's a whole week affair. So that's where I kind of got myself in a little bit of trouble. But You didn't get any yeah. Fs, did you? No, no, no. I have a 3.5 GPA, so I'm just I'm, – I'm doing what I gotta do. yeah.
0: 3. Good. You got to do. 3.5 is good. You got a B last spring, or did you get straight A's?
1: There may have been a B in there. I don't really – I mean, look, you learn a lot in the classroom, but what I've always found is – You learn a lot that's not necessarily the subject matter in the classroom. And so for me, it was always, and this is the opposite of what we tell our student-athletes, it was athletics first, because this is what I was passionate about. And this is where I thought I would get, you know, the most educational value from the hands-on learning. And Jerry, you know this from your classes. Sure. Doing, especially in media journal, doing is by far the best way of learning, because if you don't make mistakes, you don't get better. And I've made more than my fair share of mistakes, but no having question. that with what I've done in the classroom, I mean, it's it's been a happy medium.
0: Yeah, you get the you have the ultimate class here—the real world, not just the real world, but the March Madness world—an immersion in that. Uh Jordan, the uh, something that really interests me happened over the summer regarding FDU. You had. You had the school's names change for athletic purposes from Fairleigh Dickinson to FDU. You registered that change with the NCA. Take me through that process. Why did you do that? How do you do it? How hard was it to get everyone, including ESPN, on board with this?
1: Yeah, no, I I appreciate you taking note of that because it's something that I've really worked really hard on. And I've gotten the support of our, you know, AD Brad Hurlbutt and some of his deputies to be able to execute that change. And it was really important for us because having those three letters FDU and when you search it, it's the institution that comes up. It's our men's basketball team that comes up having that as opposed to fairly Dickinson, which I mean, maybe it surprises you. Maybe it doesn't how many different ways I've heard that pronounced. I think it's fairly straightforward because I, what have you heard? Farley Dickinson's the big one. That's, that's the yeah. big one. And to be able to minimize that and tell the narrative we want to tell, um, that was the biggest thing. And it came down to the new logo, which just consists of FDU with the sword as the identifier for our campus, as opposed to the division three campus in Madison. And so when it came time to the NCAA tournament, we had already gradually been building towards moving to FDU. But finally, when we won the AQ, I just started hopping on the phone saying, Hey, we're changing our name. It's a fortunately, you know, the NCA staff responsible was really responsive to it. Um, It was done in an email. So that was by far not the hardest issue. The biggest thing was we've gone through so many iterations of a logo, even though the chess piece existed for decades, it went from a blue red to more of a Navy blue and what we call burgundy. It's almost like a wine color. And so being able to clear house of all those logos and then introduce the FDU Knights word mark, which we called the transitionary mark that we used for just shy of two and a half years. Um, that was the biggest undertaking because I really wanted to make sure, you know, all of our T's were crossed and I's were dotted, that we were using the right marks, the right colors, and the right abbreviation. Because the last thing I want to see on a score bug, and this was happened all too long. Was it would just say either Fair Dickinson or F Dickinson. Nobody knows what that is. Right. And so the biggest thing, and I think you and I talked about this over the summer, the biggest thing I liken it to is I can't recall the last time somebody said Texas Christian University. It's TCU. Right. Same with, you know, Cal. It's not the University of California, Berkeley. It's UConn. Cal. UConn. Yeah, that's their official name, athletically. If you go to the right. NCAA website, it says UConn. So all SMU, same thing. So having all of you know those examples really made it um, easy for me. We've gotten some pushback. And uh, if you look through some of the websites, you can probably tell who hasn't jumped on board yet.
0: ESPN has been, has been <laughs> recalcitrant,
1: I'll say it. When, <laughs> when are they getting on board and how many times
0: have you reached out to them about it?
1: I have, uh, I, I've lost track on how many times <laughs> we've had conversations, we've gotten, we, we've made a little bit of progress, but I, I can't say enough good things about uh, CBS Sports and Fox. Uh, we had the game, Seton Hall, FS2. Right, um, There were assets that they made the morning of the game to make sure that they had, you know, everything buttoned up. So I really appreciate them doing that.
0: Really noted. ESPN, get your act together. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, Jordan. Fascinating.
2: You know, Jordan, the SID job has become so much about content creation these days. I don't know, talk about how much you like that and is there certain stuff you're particularly proud of?
1: Yeah, I mean, I love what they call the traditional SID work. And I think in the digital age, as there is a push to more social media, especially at the low major level, where it's one person who kind of Deals with everything, and that's the role I'm in. It's it's more about how can you effectively tell the story, and I don't always believe that that's through you know a feature on your website or a feature on social media. It's how can you identify those stories, and how can you get other people to talk about them? And so one of the things I'm most proud of is we had a student athlete, my freshman year, um, Sal Jirai from Hasbrook Heights. And he was the mascot. He was Nitro. Then he became a team manager. And then he walked on to the team successfully for his junior and senior year. And being able to get that story told on the Seton Hall broadcast my sophomore year when I became the contact and in print was one of the biggest accomplishments for me because it proved – People do care about FDU, and people do care about the people of FDU, and also being able to just build that connection to the North Jersey area. I mean, I think we're all, you know, really proud of what the school's done for the community, especially given the last two NCAA tournament appearances, being able to win at least one game in each, and beyond that, just the general success across the board with our Olympic sports. So that was uh, that was one of the most rewarding or fulfilling, um, pieces of content that I'm proud of.
0: Jordan, we touched on this a little bit, but how do you balance the job? You know, you have a, a full-time job that knows really no hours. It's a, it's, you're constantly on. And how do you balance that with, you know, your responsibilities as a student and just living, living your life as a 21 year old guy, like are you, you, are your notifications on in classes was Tobin Anderson texting you while you were, you know, taking, taking statistics class. I mean, how does that stuff work for you?
1: So it's funny you bring that up. I had a final in French on Thursday, and of course, as soon as I take down, the, sit down to take the test, my phone's on the table, and all of a sudden I just see it popping up, and it was Tobin. He needed a picture from the tournament. So <laughs> there you go. It's, it's uh, no. It, uh, did you did you answer him during the French exam? Of course, of course I did. It's Tobin. <laughs> but, <laughs> I needed to make sure my tickets were sorted for the uh, St. Joe's game on Saturday. Very but, good. <laughs> but no, it's the way I balanced it. It was it was very easy the first two years. Um, as much as it was devastating for a multitude of reasons, when COVID shifted learning online, FDU, like so many other schools, made the pivot to Zoom and asynchronous learning. And that really played to my advantage because I was able to just pick two hours, whether it was in the middle of the night or the middle of the day and get all my assignments done, do my discussion boards, do my responses, watch the taped lecture or however that class was structured and being able to have that, I was able to nail out so many credits, especially I took summer classes. And so I was able to bank all these credits that when it came time for basketball and I was also our softball contact for two seasons, having that freedom that, okay, I can take a lesser load in the spring or, all right, the fall is manageable. I can add one more class. I think it wasn't so much balancing the course content. It was balancing the credit load and being able to kind of play that game of, okay, if I stay below or stay above full-time, I could take, four classes instead of six. And so I ended up with, I think I took 12 credits last semester, which ended up working out because of the NCAA tournament. And then this fall I took 17 and that was all I needed to finish my degree.
2: That's great. Let let me ask you this. What advice would you give for any young guys trying to follow your path?
1: I think the biggest thing and – it's it's almost a cliche at this point, but I think it's make connections. That's the one you hear a lot. Um, I always like to give a little bit more color when I say that. And it's make connections and then stay in touch with people. Um, I've said for years now that if I did not go to the broadcasting camp when my mom signed me up all those summers ago, and I didn't meet the people I met and stayed in touch with them, I would not be able to do this job at this age because I really believe I got a four-year head start on everyone because a lot of the people who cover us now, I knew either from Fort Lee High School, especially with the guys from the record, or I met them at the broadcasting camp with Ian Eagle and Bruce Beck. And so having those contacts and being able to work with people that you've known, I found the world to be much smaller than I ever anticipated it on being. And that I feel is a testament to, again, building those connections, staying in touch with people and, you know, not making everything all about work. I mean, I love what I do, but... I'm not always pitching a story when I talk to Jerry. I'm not always, you know, trying to get him to come out to a game, although he did come out to a game and a practice. So that was, that was, that was pretty big. Yeah. That's yeah, so what you earn that when you beat Purdue and become the story. Purdue, the you, get, you get a, you get a preseason visit. Absolutely.
0: And it was and a great visit. It was. And also you gave me a little, little tour of the, uh, the film room, the, 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 the shower room that was being turned into a real film room, which was, you preview.
1: You got the first preview. look at yes. that. And now we have all I got to next time you're here, I got I got to bring you down there. All the new brandings up. It, it really looks incredible.
0: Did you Jordan, did you have a hand in that logo and crafting that logo, the uh with the sword?
1: I did. Yeah. So, that was a project that actually took us a few years. Um Jason Young, who's our CLO, he started that with Brad, our AD, and they worked on that for maybe a few months prior to me arriving at FDU. And then once I got there and I got settled, I became involved in the design process. Um, I love the logo we ended up with. One of these days, maybe uh, <laughs> we'll be able to share some of the designs that didn't make the cut. Right. Uh, so we, we had a lot of fun with it. And we worked with an unbelievable firm out of Charlotte called VP Co. They're just, they're unbelievable. They did the St. Peter's logo. So that made our um, battle of bracket busters. It was funny. We called it the battle of the brands internally because we had one firm designed both logos, but having, having a new suite of marks that actually tells who we are and what the history of the institution is, what some of the meaning behind, you know, in the blade of the sword, you have the river waves of the Hackensack river, the little etch in the sword at the top is for the castle on our old Rutherford campus, which is now Felician, um, all those all those little things. I had a lot of fun uh, telling the story, and you know they won't be able to see it or on the podcast <laughs> and audio, but I'll show you guys. We unveiled the logo with a pancake, and the person who did it, his name's James Langmeyer. He actually dried the pancake out, put it in resin, and he sent it to me. So this was a real pancake that we used on TikTok and Instagram to unveil the logo.
0: Very so, smart, so super. We, uh, Super stuff. This is this is how we the sausage is made. Yeah. Or in this case, how the pancake is made. <laughs> Last question, Jordan. And this is a big picture question because one day you're going to be in AD, you're going to be, you know, maybe on maybe the chair of the NSA selection committee. Let me say it now. You're going to be a big man one day in college sports. And in the holiday spirit, if it was up to you, what is one gift Santa Claus would bring the sport of college basketball?
1: Oof. That that's a great question. You know, I think the answer at today, and uh, you mentioned John Rotzing before. this, uh, this takes a page out of Ratzin's book. I think it's keep the tournament at 68 teams. I think that's something that especially with the news, given the changes to the NIT and whatever the future of college basketball postseason looks like, especially with football being what it is right now, I would love to, you know, continue to be able to be a part of a program that makes the tournament. And the patch on that apparel says one of 68. I think that's a great number for the tournament. I love the first four. Um, At least at this institution, there's nothing better than having a chance to win a game. Because on paper, we didn't have a chance to win the Purdue game. But we obviously, you know, proved the metrics wrong there. But I think 68 think is a great number. I think the number of days the tournament is, you're able to keep the interest for it. I mean, other than the World Cup and maybe the last couple weeks of the NFL playoffs, I don't know a sporting event that just captures so many different people. It's the great unifier. I mean, I know sports people or non-sports people who went to FDU and they would send me emails uh, after the tournament or during the tournament. And it is the great unifier. So keeping it at 68 teams um, at the current state of college athletics, that I think would be a great gift to all of us.
0: There you have it. Perfectly said. What is there to add to that, Steve? Amen to that. And uh, that's Jordan Sarnoff, newly minted special assistant to the athletic director at FDU, very soon to be FDU grad, SID extraordinaire. He's on his way to bigger and better things. Jordan Thank you for joining us on the Jersey Jump Shot.
1: Thank you guys so much. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Jordan.
0: All right. We appreciate Jordan. Steven, let's move on. Lots to talk about here as we head into the holiday week. But how about Jordan Sarnoff, man? What an inspiration that young fella is.
2: Yeah, he's he's on to big things, you can tell. And the, the job he's done at FDU, you know, so beyond his years, you know, in terms of his ability and his knowledge and his really his passion is is second to none.
0: Tobin Anderson texting him during a French exam and Jordan replying is really the quintessential Jordan Sarnoff story and really like life, life in the business of college sports. Right. Got to love it. Uh, all right, Steve, let's go down the list of things we have to discuss this week. Uh, this is, this is uh, holiday week, Christmas week. So there's not a ton going on, but we do have Seton Hall coming off an enormous win at Missouri. 93 87 was the final score. But Seton Hall really dominated Missouri. They had a lead of as much as 19 midway through the second half. Missouri never got it closer than five. Uh, So Seton Hall gets their first high major win, and it's a big one, in Kansas City. They shot the lights out. What do you think of what you saw from Seton Hall, and how does this help the Pirates with UConn, the defending national champ, storming into town on Wednesday?
2: Well, I mean, this, listen, this was the performance that they needed. You know, they, they went on the road. They beat a good team. Um, you know, it, it, I, I think the question now is because, let's face it, Seton Hall shot the ball very well in that game. And now, can you do that consistently now? Can you can, – is the dam open now? And, and can you really start to to find your range from, from the perimeter, you know, and draw teams out of those zones that they're playing against You and I I think that's going to be critical moving forward. I that was my biggest takeaway was I thought Seton Hall really shot the ball well.
0: Yeah, and that's and I have said this last week, and we for a while now. I think Seton Hall's gotten good looks throughout their schedule. They just haven't made them. So I actually think Seton Hall's offense has functioned fairly well in terms of sharing the ball and getting guys open looks. They've just been coughing up bricks and the sort of law of averages played out, you know, they were due. And those, those shots rain down on Missouri. Al Dawes, we've said it before, is so important. He makes those first two threes, and it's like sledding downhill, and it's contagious. You know, it's not just Dawes. It's Dylan, the Daiwusu, it's it's Dre Davis, and the the, the shots start falling in, and it's a different game when you make shots, Steve. That's what it is. Well, you know, and when they made the
2: three straight shots to to push the lead up to double digits there, the three straight long range ones, it was like a, you could almost feel like an exhale, you know, like just a relief of pressure, you know, to to be able to do that. And and so, uh, like I said, maybe this can kind of free them up a performance like that.
0: Yeah. So, but the other on the flip side of that is Seattle has to play better defense. I mean, they, two straight games, they allowed Rutgers and Missouri to shoot 12 of 24 from three point range. A lot of open looks by both teams. That's a pattern. It's, it's it goes before, back before these two games. Seaton Hall is not helping and recovering well. They're not handling the help side of, of man-to-man defense well at all, and they're losing shooters, and that's really problematic. So, is that something they can improve dramatically? I don't know, but incrementally, yes, they have to improve that incrementally. Um, this is now a huge week for Seaton Hall, Steve, because UConn at home. Wednesday they've beaten UConn two straight times in in uh, Newark in the Prudential Center and then you have a trip to Xavier which has really been pretty up and down it has injuries has lost some head scratching games Seton Hall has played well there they won a bunch of games in a row before losing by I think one one possession at the very end of the game last year there so can Seton Hall get a split? I think this is a huge week for them. If they can get a split, you kind of they go into 2024 with some hope and maybe having pushed the reset button a little after a rough start. What do you think, Steve? The odds of this team getting a split, what has to happen for them to do that this week?
2: Well, I think getting a split would be great. Uh, you know, I, again, obviously UConn is a tall task. I mean, the Huskies come in 10-1, coming off the win at Gonzaga. I, I, I mean – that would be a signature win for Seton hall but listen it's a rivalry game it really is so you know if they if they play like they played at missouri they got a chance you know they got to play a little better defense but shoot the ball well dig in on defense and maybe you got a chance in that game and and as you said xavier's up and down you know you listen you go out there and beat them and 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 then at least you've got a split and god you're playing with house money if you if you could beat the huskies
0: all right, shooting and basketball, there's so much confidence involved. It's so much of a game of the mind, Steve. So can Seton Hall parlay, maybe a little bounce in their step coming back from Kansas City into a big week, a season-changing week? It's there in front of them if they can seize it. Uh, what I would say is uh, two things. One is can Kidari Richmond, Dre Davis, and Alamir Dawes all fire on the same day? That didn't even really happen yesterday. Richmond was kind of off and Dylan a who sort of picked up the slack as a playmaker. But can those big three all fire on the same day? We haven't seen it yet, but if those guys can do that, Seton Hall might be able to beat anybody, especially at home. And the other thing is, can Seton Hall get a crowd there? They had a great crowd for Rutgers. I know people were really bummed about the no-show against Rutgers. Can they get another big student section, even though finals will be over or ending, can they get a huge home crowd against UConn to sort of – you know, change the momentum like they did last year when they had that big comeback at home. I think that's a big factor in this too. So fascinating times. I will say, as I say every podcast, it's a long season with a lot of twists and turns and Seton Hall has a chance this week to completely change the narrative of their season. They can, they can somewhat, they can push a reset button with a split. They can totally change it with two wins. Of course, that's a ton to ask. And we recognize just how good UConn under Dan Hurley is but all you can ask for is a chance can those three guys fire on the same day and can they play a little better defense on the perimeter that's going to be a huge factor so Seton Hall has a pulse which you know you, you need in December that's a positive development you covered uh Mama's 77-71 win over Rider. tell us a little bit about that and what's next for for the Hawks who are six and five and looking pretty good at a conference yeah, 6
2: and 5 against a tough non-conference schedule. They won 7 games all last season, so not too bad. Uh, you know, again, Ryder has struggled. The game was not as close as the final score. Mammoth was up 12-14 most of the second half. Ryder got close in the last couple minutes, but um listen, just to touch on Ryder, I mean, Ryder only has one Division I win. They were picked to win the MAC this year. It really has been kind of vexing because they have some good players. You know, Mervin James, Alan Powell, those guys are good. Tariq Ingram, you know, the who transfer, transferred in, a Philly kid, was supposed to be a big guy. They just have not put it together. And, uh, again, Mammoth has played well. You know, it was a game where Xander Rice had hit Rider for a couple of big games while he was at Bucknell, and they were simply not going to let him do that. Uh, but Mammoth, other guys all stepped up. You know, uh, their their Ukrainian big man Nikita Konstantinov stepped in with a 21 point game, uh, really dominated inside. You know, their their young guys are playing well. So uh, you know, really Mammoth Mammoth is playing much better. And again, I I think they can. I think they can make some noise in the CAA. The problem is the CAA. The top of the CAAs is really high.
0: Very, very good.
2: So you know, to say, "Well, you're going to win the league," that's tough. That's a. Tough but no win. one was re-
0: no one was really expecting that from Mammoth no. this year. So so that's Absolutely. not really. There's no pressure on Mammoth to no, do that.
2: No pressure. Get a good seed in the tournament. Maybe win a game or two. You know, and I th- I think you know after last year, that's a, a great move.
0: And next up is Manhattan, correct?
2: Yeah, they got Manhattan on Thursday. Again, a Manhattan team that that they should beat at home. So, if they can do that, they, they get to the 7 and 5 and then they go to Oklahoma for a New Year's Eve game.
0: And, well, and uh, Oklahoma's undefeated as we speak. It's fascinating. Yes, yeah. its
2: and then they get into but again, if they can come in 7 and 6 through non-conference into huge play, success.
0: Huge success. Yeah, real success, yep. All right, uh, Rutgers has – look, they took care of business against LIU. I don't know how much was notable there. Uh, Cliff Amori dominated like you expect he would. Jamichael Davis settling in as, you know, a starting guard for Rutgers. Another nice performance. Really, Rutgers is really getting good mileage out of the freshman. Uh, Steve Peichel's ty- type of player, not very hyped up in high school, very tough, gritty. So he fits in super well there. Big, big game coming for Rutgers. Mississippi State uh, at the Prudential Center, Saturday at noon. Mississippi State is 9-2. and two. They have beaten Northwestern, is their most notable win. Uh, Arizona State, they beat uh, they beat Washington State. So they've bagged some high majors. And the losses to Georgia Tech and Southern, kind of a mixed bag. They've had some injuries. They're a good team. It would be a good win. To me, it's a bold stroke by by Steve Peichel to schedule this in Newark. Look, Mississippi State, the, they're not coming to the rack. They're not going there. So if you want to play a high-quality, you know, f- high major, have a chance at a quality win at a conference, which we Rutgers needs. This is what the committee told them to do. It's what everyone's been telling them to do. This is the way to do it. You get Mississippi State in Newark. It's not, in, you know, in, on campus. But you know that that lower bowl is going to be painted red on Saturday. There's going to be no Mississippi State fans there. Are there any Mississippi State basketball fans? I have my doubts, even though the program is pretty good. So this is a big game. This is an inflection point, I think, for Rutgers. If they really, if you really want to think of Rutgers as an NCAA tournament team, I predicted them to be in the NIT. If you want to think of them as an NCAA tournament team, this is a game they really have to get. This is a resume game. I don't know how much winning at Seton Hall is going to be a resume game. It is a road win at a conference. This is a clear resume-building game and momentum-building game going into the, the Big Ten. Uh, what do you think of where Rutgers is at, and what do you think of them having this game in Newark on Saturday?
2: Well again, I think what you see from Cliff Amore, you've seen a couple of good games in a row. I think you need to keep seeing that. And I love the new lineup. You know, w- with Davis starting, Simpson coming off the bench. I think that is that's a good combination right now. I think they I think those those things kind of send you into this game with a little bit of optimism and what you've seen of Rutgers and, and that they could pull this off. And as you said, Jerry, if they do. Changes the entire narrative of the season, so there's certainly motivation going into this game for a big, big performance.
0: No question, uh, and that that will be fascinating. Steve Peichel, I will tell you, and you know this, he's not changing that starting lineup. When Steve, when they, when Rutgers is winning, Peichel does not tinker. He tinkers when they lose, and he tinkered really well with the changes he's made. You see the fruit of that now. Okay, now Steve, you uh, you had a little uh, high school game of intrigue over the past week. You covered a high-profile recruiting game, a lot of college scouts there. Tell us a little bit about it.
2: Yeah, you know, I actually went over and saw St. Rose top team at the shore and really one of the top teams in the state. You know, they're they're in, in line to win a state championship this year. Play the Patrick School uh, and the Patrick School is just loaded. You know, they, they, they have some really good players. Jaden Glover's already committed to, to St. John's and St. Rose's top player. You know, Matt Hodge is committed to Villanova. So there was a there was a lot of intrigue there. Uh, but there's so many good players on the Patrick school roster, you know, and you could really see, there was so much energy at that game and so many college coaches. there just trying to kind of pluck guys off both rosters. So, it, you know, it was really a kind of a showcase of, of New Jersey and area talent. So it was nice to see.
0: what do you think of Hodge and, and Glover specifically for, as far as going to Villanova and St. John's and how they'll have an impact.
2: Well, Hodge was the best player on the court all night. Scored thirty points, had nineteen at the break, um, and and really, when when he wanted to get to the rim, he got to the rim. So you know, it was really impressive performance, and and that was the kind of summer he had. You know that uh, that's where I think Villanova just said, "Yep, he's our guy," and uh, you know, so he played well. Glover, Glover scored twelve points, played well but there's a lot of guys looking for the ball on that team that are looking to score and they got a, a lot of athletes. So a lot of guys score a lot on that team and uh, you know, but but Glover's is, is going to be a really nice player uh, for Patino.
0: One last note on the recruiting front, uh, Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey Rutgers, two five-star recruits will square off in the city of palms classic in Florida this week. Mm. They'll actually be facing each other, which is fascinating. And then they'll both be, at the rack Jersey Mike's Arena in Piscataway, the following week, Christmas week, for a showcase there, playing in separate games. So, Rutgers fans will get to see them on their future home floor. Uh, really fascinating. And what Steve, what I like about high school basketball, uh, I covered it for many years full time, still like to poke my head into a game now and then. To me, like I know the recruiting industrial complex is obsessed with these summer showcases and the AAU circuit, and I get all that because you. You go to one place and you get to see all these studs, but to me, you get to see what's in a player's heart in high school basketball because there's some pressure. You're playing for your town, you're playing for your friends, uh, you're playing for your neighborhood, and look, these teams have been they've been scouting each other. Uh, you, there is co- there's good coaching in high school, and it's not just everybody trying to fill up a stat line. It's winning is the important thing, and so that kind of mimics college ball in, in a way. And so I like it. So I, I I, think it's a great way to evaluate guys like Hodge and Glover and Dylan Harper and Ace Bailey, what to do on a high school court.
2: Well, absolutely. And listen, you're in a frenetic environment, not yeah. in – not in a gym with a couple of coaches and scouts hanging around you're you're playing against a team that has figured out how they're going to defend you you're you know you can't take the ball at the top of the key and drive all the way to the basket and think no one's going to take a charge you know you really find out about a player in a game like that and and you're right that this is really i think uh other i mean AAU yes you see all the players in one spot but these are the games where you really see what a player is all about
0: well said. So so uh, this is a programming note. We'll be, we'll be taking off for two weeks. We're taking the holiday week off from Jersey Jump Shot. We'll be back on January 2nd or thereabouts. But there's lots to do and, and lots to watch. Thanks to Jordan Sarnoff, quintessential New Jerseyan, for joining us on the podcast. Big things ahead for him. Big things ahead for all of us. Holiday and hoops coming up. Enjoy both. We'll see you soon on the Jersey Jump Shot.